Yeah. Yeah. Pro Fan Sports Podcast. Let's get it. Pro Fan. Tune into the program. Every single week, get the dope fam. Sean on the mic, very flat too. Keep you updated, that's what we do. Pro Fan. Tune into the program. Pro Fan. Tune into the program. Pro Fan. Tune into the program. Every single week, get the dope fam. Yo, 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 what it do, everybody? It's your boy, John Altador, Pro Fan Sports Podcast with fans of the pros. Go back at you with my boys, Vlad, Barry, and today, an Emmy Award-winning host and Red Sox sideline reporter, Jamai Webster. How you doing, bro? Hey, man, I'm I'm cooling. I'm just chilling right now. It's an off day, so I'm, I'm uh, just relaxing and catching up on everything. That's all. Right, one of the few off days in baseball, right? Because y'all got like 1,062 games a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a grind, man. It's a grind for sure. But, uh, you know, the Red Sox got a, a lot built in over the last half of the season. So it'll work out. It all seems to balance itself out. But, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of games for sure. They catch up with you fast. Absolutely, man. You know, like I said, welcome to Pro Fan Sports Podcast. If you're watching right now, please make sure you're subscribing to the channel. It's the best way to support us. We got our boy, Jemai Webster, in the house. So show him some love by liking the video as well. Um, You know, but before we get into everything, um, definitely, you know, we, we discuss a lot of Celtics and Patriots on this podcast, so we don't get a chance to get, you know, a lot of the guys from the Red Sox and we're definitely glad to have you today, but I definitely want to know like a little bit about your background story. Um, how'd you end up working with the Red Sox and, you know, your, your journey in this industry, right? Now? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a long story, but I try to, you know, condense it for condense that. Uh, everybody here, you know, the podcast audience and the folks watching, but I mean, basically, you know, I started, uh, I guess I'll go to, to college. You know, I, I majored in broadcast journalism from the West Coast. I went to Cal State Northridge, a state school, just, you know, about 20 miles north of downtown Los Angeles. So that's where I'm from. Grew up in Inglewood. My parents moved out to the San Fernando Valley uh, later, and that's where I went to high school and then eventually went to college there. But I majored in broadcast journalism. I got my degree after I was on the five-year plan. I didn't uh, I didn't get out of there in four years, but, you know, it's all about graduating. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I got my degree. And then, you know, once I, I got to school, I kind of knew that this was the, the career path for me. It was something that I wanted to pursue really early on. Like, I mean, it was like elementary school where I was like, all right, this is where I wanted to go. Obviously, I played sports. But after high school, I was like, you know, I could grind and, you know, walk on or, you know, start at a D3 or something and hoop. Um, But I was like, you know, I just wanted to get into a career path that was going to be fulfilling and lead me to, you know, a place that I wanted to in TV. So that's the path that I chose. So once I graduated, and this was 2008, so I was sending my demo reels all over the place, you know, and this is the time before, you know, now everything's so digital, you can just send quick links to news directors or whatever. But I had to put all my stuff on DVDs, my 11 minute resume (laughs) tape, and I sent them to about 100 stations across the country. And obviously anybody knows that's too long, right? Like you cannot watch. Nobody's watching 11 minutes. 11 minutes, yeah. I finally figured right, out right. <laughs> as mm-hmm. I got later. So, um, but, you know, they watched the first minute or so. And, you know, of the 100 
tapes that I send around with very expensive because I was a broke graduated college student at that point. Um, one person called me back and that's all you really need to give you a chance. So I started my broadcasting career in College Station, Texas, small market, working as a number three guy um, over there. And basically that meant, you know, there was a sports director, a guy who would be on the TV Monday through Friday. And then you had the weekend guy who also worked three days during the week and then he'd anchor during the weekends. And then that was me. I just kind of gathered content, you know, did interview, you know, I'd fill in when they needed me. So I did that starting College Station, Texas, where Texas A&M University is, um, covering the Aggies, high school sports, high school football, obviously is massive over there. So did that, grinded for about a year, and then my boss got fired. So the weekend guy moved up. So I moved up to the weekend guy and I, and our main station was in Waco, Texas. So then I, I moved up there about 90 miles away. So um, then I was covering Baylor, but also covering A&M and still the area sports in central Texas. And after about two years there, I just felt like I had hit a ceiling. I wasn't really uh, elevating anymore. And I was like, all right, it's time to look for the next. So again, here I am grinding, putting out my resume tape, trying to feel what are available jobs out there. So I applied to Honolulu, Hawaii. So without really even thinking that it was a possibility and like the dude who ended up hiring me, may he rest in peace, Robert K. Kaula, um, he called me like an hour after I submitted my application. So he must have like watched my tape. He was like feeling me. But this was like one o'clock in the morning in Texas. So mm-hmm. obviously Hawaii is five hours time difference at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So he called me and I was like, dude, who's this calling me at one o'clock in the morning? I was, so I, obviously I didn't answer. Then the next day I called him back um long story short we got there and i ended up moving to hawaii sight unseen never had visited the island never had been there my parents went there once for a honeymoon and that was about it i got a t-shirt and then i ended up living there for four years so after that i was you know i signed a three-year contract when i got there but i was like you know i'm looking for the next thing once again so now bigger markets are trying to call and i'm getting to more um more repetitions in my career and also i'm getting better I'm improving. So other people are starting to take notice. So after three years, I was like, I got to find something else. Nothing came. So I ended up sticking around for another year, which is probably the best thing that can happen. It was just a magical place. Like, I still think that, you know, that's where I, I, I've developed the most. And I, I really call it home. Like, I, I try to go back every year. But after four years in Hawaii, then I went to Denver. I was in Denver for two years. And I was the evening sports anchor at the ABC affiliate there, KMGH. Once again, just grinded it out. And I signed a two-year deal with the expectation that I'd be moving on fast. So I didn't really put down roots in Denver, but I love Denver. It's a fantastic city. Um, and I wish I would have been more like, you know, embracing it because it really is, it really is a dope place to live. But spent two years there. And then here comes the part where I get to Nesson. So after a while, I went to the this National Association of Black Journalists convention that happens every year. It's this national organization. And it was in Minneapolis this year. So I'm on the, the job fair on the floor and I'm trying to talk to people and prospective employers. Met a guy by the name of Larry Lawson, who was the news director at Nesson at the time, a director of news. He's no longer there, he's gone on, but he brought me in and my agent talked to him. So we already had like expectation that we would meet and had a rapport. So from there, this was in August of 2016, um, September. And I'll never forget because it was September 11th. September 11th, like I'm flying to Boston to audition to work at Nesson. And that happened in a matter of a couple of weeks. So then a couple of weeks after that, after I auditioned, they offered me the job to be, you know, a host reporter and, and, and um, you know, anchor their news programs or whatever. So this happened so fast. And then I was, I moved to Boston on October 16th, 2016. That's crazy. Yeah. So it happened really fast. And I've been there ever since. And basically that, that was Big Poppy's last year, if you guys recall. 
They lost in the playoffs in Cleveland. So I mm-hmm. got here after the playoffs, after they had that first round exit. So spring of 2017 was my first time covering the Red Sox. And I went to spring training that year, and they told me that I would be filling in. There was another person at the time who was in the role full time, and they told me I'd be filling in on a, on a you know consistent basis, and I'd have a few games here and there. And uh, just to spell somebody, because as we talked about at the top of the show, like it's a massive grind. People don't really understand, like working every day for six months, how that takes a toll on your body, right? So I did that. She went down. She had an injury. So I ended up working like 75 games, like off the shoot, out the jump, right? With no expectations, Mm -hmm. like never doing this before. But I ended up going on road trips out to the West Coast and working like 75 games that season. And it was just like a crazy ride because like you're a little bit apprehensive because you're like, I don't know what to expect because I've never done this before. But at the same time, you don't have any opportunity to think about how big of a deal this is, right? Like how much people in New England love the Red Sox, how they're hanging on every single pitch, how is much different here sports wise than any other place in the country, really. So that was an amazing ride. And then the next season, I would continue to follow up, follow up. So my games went down a little bit. The next season was healthy. And then the third year I did it, I did like 50 games and it was like half on the road, half at home. And then last year, it was a pandemic, right? So 60 games, I didn't do not one because nobody's traveling. That's crazy. So <laughs> yeah, right. that was crazy. And then fast forward to this year where now my first season as a full-time sideline reporter, and we're still not traveling, but um, the world is kind of making its way back. So things feel a lot different than when I first started, but um, a lot of it is the same. So that's kind of how I journeyed here in, you know, the five, six minutes that it took me to tell that story. <laughs> hey, man, that that's fascinating stuff. Um, we like to ask that, that question just to illustrate how much work, you know, um, people like you have to do to get where you're at. You know what I'm saying? It's not just something you wake up and boom, you're there. So it, right. it's definitely I mean, a yeah, crime. I mean, this is 13 years of work to get to this yeah. point. You know what I mean? I've been right. doing this for mm-hmm. 13 years now. And, you know, it, it, it felt like I'd never get here when I first started. You know, you feel like, oh, man, I, I don't know. You you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. But it's just amazing sometimes to be able to sit back and see the work that you put in to get to this point. Because, I mean, you guys know, you think about it, there's not many more prominent organizations to be a part of. Like you could be the sideline reporter for the Red Sox, Yankees, yeah. probably Dodgers is a prominent job, the Cubs, you know what I mean? Places like that. And there's not many of those out there. So, you know, I'm grateful for this opportunity for sure. And, you know, I'm happy to the place that I'm. Well, congrats. That's that's for just real. an amazing exactly. story. And it's to have that job is a great it's a great fit. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. You know, I don't take it lightly. That's- Absolutely. What do, they, what do they say? It takes 10 years to be an overnight success right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you got to be grinding and grinding man but um like you said you grew up in, in cali um how are your people treating you now that you're in boston you, oh man with the enemy man <laughs> i tell you what man i still my whole family's still laker fans you know <laughs> and my dad's from my dad's actually from the bay area so he's from san francisco with you know no cow and socal got its own beef right so he's a giants fan but like my brothers they're dodgers fans but also like giants fans which is weird really you can't have that so i mean 2018 world series like i'm torn you know what i mean <laughs> like these are the people who pay my checks and i got a relationship with these guys here in boston because you know like i cover these players and see the work that they put in so obviously you want them to do well right but then your childhood team is here after 32 years, right? Haven't won the World Series since 1988. 
and they're knocking on the door against the team that you cover. So it was tough, man. And, you know, um, the, the Red Sox ended up taking it, you know, and yeah. winning it. But then the Dodgers also, they got their chance last year. So uh, I guess it was all, you know, meant to be, right? Exactly. Absolutely. For yeah. sure. No doubt, man. You know, Boston sports media can tend to hear yeah. all the stories. <laughs> um, you see you hear from the players that's played here before. And, you know, th- there's a stigma here, right? And, uh, you know, as as African-American minorities, you definitely hear those stories for sure. Um, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about as far as like, you know, racism and stuff like that. Um, you know, we have our stance here on this show. Um, did you do any research on that before you joined the Red Sox? And, and have you had that kind of experience that people talk about, you know? Right, right. No, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really, I just kind of, you know, like I didn't search into, you know, the racism or subtleties of that or anything, any of the prejudices that are going on here. But I just had that preconceived notion about the things that I've heard about Boston, right? And how it could be a tough place and how difficult for minorities and black folks. So I had that in the back of my mind, but it's not something that I did extensive research. You know, I like to come in here and think about, you know, I'm gonna give this place a fresh start, you know, an opportunity for me to have it with, you know, fresh eyes on it, be able to take my experience for my own, right? So um, I'd be lying if I say I didn't experience some of that <laughs> in that time that I've been here, right? And it's it's been more subtle, like it hasn't been really overt, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's right. been some subtleties where it's things like where a situation will happen and you'll question it, you'll take a step back and be like, that really happened? Or like, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> I you ask yourself, right? yeah. you ask, exactly. So uh, nothing overt though. Nobody really has been emboldened to be that that reckless, but you know, Over, subtle thing here. Overt or not, it is what it is. Right, right. So there's, there's no such thing as small racism or little racism. Racism is racism. No, right. no doubt about it. No yeah. doubt about it. And, I, and you know, and to, to, to Boston's credit, New England's credit, um, it's been over overly positive experience for the most part so i will say that and and nothing like i expected because i expected it to be you know the civil rights movement almost (laughs) the way people would really talk about it i mean keep it a buck i I think i think that's that's my point for asking that question right because it seems like it's very amplified in in the media you know what i'm saying it's like something you talk about constantly to me i feel like that's not fair like is boston like more racism than any like than mississippi it's like right what are, we, what are we talking about? You know what I'm saying? And I think there's definitely that reputation kind of staying on the city, which is like, we grew up here. I don't Right. And, and and I will say that, too. I was very pleasantly surprised to see how many black Bostonians there were coming here. I didn't really have that expectation. I thought it'd be, you know, like I was in Idaho or something, you know, where it'd be like 90 percent white folks. But um, it, it has diversity. But I did notice, too, like it's pockets. You know what I mean? It's like yes. these folks over here, these folks over here. It's not exactly a collective, you know, community in that regard. Absolutely. Right. Sure. Um, thank you for sharing that, because I, I think it's important that, that I'll try to change the narrative a little bit. <laughs> yeah. right, you go. You'll be all right. You know what I'm saying? It's right. Not- you know, like you said, it's not the civil rights era. Unfortunately, there's a stigma. We got to, um, so obviously the Red Sox are in season right now. We yeah. started off real hot, you know, um, <laughs> winning games all over the place. And since then, you know, kind of cooled off a bit on the hunt for a wild card spot. Um, to get in post. What's your thought on the, on, on the season? How you- Man, I will say I've been saying from the beginning, like I knew this team was a playoff team. So was I surprised about how hot they started? Almost like not really. Like, I guess 
I was surprised at how good they would be and how far everybody else was off to start, you know, the first two, three months of the season, right? Until we got into the All-Star break. That's the moment where it felt like they kind of fell back to earth a little. But even after that, like, they played the Yankees, swept them at their place. It just felt like, you know, this is some of the 2018 magic that we had experienced. So I knew this team would win about 85, 90 games. I knew they would be in that threshold. Where that would leave them, though, in a, in a highly competitive division, when I felt like at the time, like, the Yankees on paper looked like a better team. I thought the Toronto Blue Jays were up and coming. You know, they signed George Springer, and he had been killing the Red Sox for several years coming out of Houston. And then I thought about the Tampa Bay Rays, who just won the American League pennant, right? And we're in the World Series. And you could argue that if Blake Snell never came out of that game, the Dodgers wouldn't be champions right now, right? That's something that was Sucks. constantly scrutinized over the entire course of the winter. So oh, yeah. I thought that the Red Sox would be competitive. I just didn't understand that they would be world beaters out of the gate. But now they're kind of more, they're not as bad as they were over this last stretch of terrible August that they had. But they're also not as good as they were, you know, coming out of that first two, three months of the season. So I think right now, you know, they control their own destiny for that top wild card spot. You know, they got a couple coming up against the Mets and then a big series against the Yankees for three games where they could potentially bury them if they sweep them or... You know, taking two out of three will still be a gut punch to the Yankees' hopes, but you hope it's not in the reverse. But even if it is, I feel like they have an opportunity to rally because after that, they go to Baltimore and then they finish the year against the Nationals on the road. So these are teams, you know, that are not good. You know, the O's, they lost 100 games for the third time in the last four years. And 2020 wasn't a full 162-game season. And they still finished 10 games below 500, which wasn't great. So... They're in a full-on rebuild. Um, Washington, they shipped off a lot of their pieces at the trade deadline. They got Juan Soto, but that's just about it. And you think that they'll be able to sweep or at least take two out of three from both of those series and find themselves in a good position. So I think they'll be hosting the wild card. Who they play could change the equation a little bit, but I feel like they're going to get to the division series and be playing the Tampa Bay Rays. So after that, it's a crapshoot, you know? You feel like you got your best arms against some of their best arms and they matched up pretty well over the course of the season. So it'll be an interesting series. And then, you know, playoff baseball is much different than the regular season. Everything is high stakes. Every move that is made is scrutinized. So um, I like the Red Sox chances to, you know, be sneaky good to steal a word from Garrett Richards earlier in the year. So we'll see where it ends up. But then again, I've always been known as the eternal optimist. So we'll see. <laughs> hey, we're, we're right. optimistic on, on this show as well. And, um, you know, due to the current state of the world, you know, with what's going on, we're not going to say what's going on because YouTube has a funny way of, you know, making sure these, you know, um, making sure that shows that talk about the C word don't get views and stuff like that. So we're not even going to mention the C word, but, Obviously, due to, you know, the state of the world right now, the Red Sox got hit pretty hard. Right. Um, you know, it seemed like every day there was somebody going down, you know, with the situation. Like, what what is the issue with that right there? And how come, you know, they've been hit the hardest? It's tough, man. It's tough to say, really, because, you know, as you know, it's so much uncertainty still 18, 20, 22 months into this pandemic, right? And part of the reason, obviously, is because they're one of six teams in Major League Baseball to not have reached that 85% vaccination threshold, which was the mark where Major League Baseball will feel like, all right, we're going to lessen some of the protocols because you guys are protected against this virus. And even then, right, like, let's be let's be 100% clear here. Like, the vaccine is not a cure, right? It's just going to do its job in protecting you from becoming severely sick, to severely sick or worst case scenario, expiring, like dying, right? So mm -hmm. 
I think for a team in a team sport like baseball, when, you know, you, you lose guys on the COVID IL because of their close contact or if they come down with the virus. Um, I think a lot of people that I've spoken to who seem to have been hesitant about it, they say, you know, I think about it in every situation that comes up. Every answer that I come up with is because I'm doing it for somebody else. It's like, yeah, this is a community thing. We're all doing it from somebody else. Yeah to protect each other, to get out of this together, right? Like, you think I want to just poke myself and take two jabs? Like, no, I did it because (laughs) I got small children. I got family. I got elderly folks in my family, you know, who aren't as healthy as me, right? So, yeah, I did it for somebody else as well, but also for the community around me. So it's tough because a lot of the Red Sox, as we've come to find out since August 27th, I mean, they've had 14 players land on the COVID IL. Wow. Some guys even twice, right? So they had a full on out during that span. And it just goes to show, despite what you do on the field, we're still at the mercy of what's happening in the world around us. So they got hit pretty hard by it. But to their credit, they fought through it and played through to get to this point where they are right now. But I don't know if we're going to see more progress there, honestly. And even, you know, Chris Sale had just admitted just recently that he's unvaccinated. He's had COVID twice now. Oh, the man. first time wow. he was symptomatic. Yeah. yeah, he was symptomatic where he said he lost taste and smell. That's wild. This was early in January. And then recently he said he had no symptoms. Like when they told him, hey, you got COVID, he was like, are you kidding me? Like somebody telling me I'm sick when I don't feel nothing was weird, he explained. But he's unvaccinated. And, you know, to be honest, when he said that, it was so shocking. Like nobody really followed up because all of our mouths kind of dropped. We weren't expecting that because a lot of guys, they just, you know, take the the uh, the approach of like, oh, it's a personal decision. Um, I don't want to get into it. But him admitting, which we haven't had many guys admit to this point in the season, being such a prominent person on this team and, and uh, the fact that he had it before, it was so shocking. And like, you know, everybody was just like, whoa, did he really just say what we thought he did? So, you know, I'm sure there'll be more stories outside of that. But it just doesn't seem to make sense from a competitive standpoint if you just want to strictly look at it as this gives us an advantage on the field because you lose people to it, you know, for extended period of time. Like, say he gets it again for a third time, he could be gone for the wild card. Like, if he's a close contact, he's out of the mix completely because he's yeah. not vaccinated. So it's a tough place to be in, and, and I don't know, you know, where we'll end up with this Red Sox team. I don't know if they'll, they'll reach that threshold. It doesn't sound like it because it not only includes the major league roster, it includes the coaching staff, it includes front office people, it includes people who come in contact with the major league club, and it includes everybody in AAA. People don't really understand that tier one threshold, all of, all of it encompasses. So it's like not only they have to factor for the major league clubhouse, but all these outside factors that, that work into that 85%. So I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's, it's mind boggling to sum it up. It's a head scratcher and I don't understand it. And I'd like to get perspective on it because, you know, I'd like to understand and, and without, you know, knowing Chris's medical history or, you know, any things that prevent him or have caused him to be hesitant. It's hard for me to, to really talk about it, but just from my perspective, it feels like the right thing to do from a competitive standpoint. I mean, I, I know you're very optimistic, but how how is that situation going to affect the Red Sox in the playoffs? You know, it, it, it remains to be seen. It's one of the things we got to wait and see. They still have about nine guys, by my last count, who are still on the COVID aisle, but they're about to get a lot of these guys back. And Alex Score was talking about this past couple of weeks, how it hit Christian Arroyo pretty hard, who was having a career year, a recent uh, new addition for the Red Sox, who was a surprise at second base for them, how good he had been. He'd missed an extended period of time. I don't have it in front of me right now, but he's been out, I think, since mid-August, right? Or, or oh, August 27th, only August 26th. And like, here we are, you know, almost a month later. And right. uh, he's still not back. So it just shows the effects that 
you know, it's, it's taken on his body. And then you think about last year, like Eduardo Rodriguez missed the entire year because of complications of COVID. He had myocarditis, which was inflammation of his heart. And it's like, just that alone, if I got this guy sitting next to me who went through that, that's, that's reason enough for me to be like, all right, I'm going to do it because I don't want to have that complication further affect my career potentially or put me out of this game. I didn't think that dude was going to play again. Man. Man. Me either. Everything that was coming out. Right. I mean, it was it was a struggle for him. Like, it was hard for him to get up and do things. Like, you don't want to mess with two things, your heart and your brain, right? Like, you don't mm-hmm. want to get into a car accident that makes you brain dead and you don't want to mess with your heart because it's like – there's not many of those just lining up, you know what I mean? Like if you want to get a transplant, you got to have somebody perish in order for you to get one. And you don't even want to do that because there's a time limit on that. Yeah. You want to be, you know, having the goods that you were born with and that you were brought into this world. So when you got a, people talking about a heart condition, like that ends careers, that, that, that ends people. I mean, limb bias is one, right? You think about people who have had situations where, um, you know, they had heart conditions or, you know, Chris Bosch is another who ended his career because of stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's tough, man. You don't want to play with that stuff. And, and then, like I said, that would be impetus enough to be like, all right, I'm doing this for for the to, to hopefully not get to a And hey, hey, Jeremiah. Oh, go ahead, Barry. Uh, yeah. I just, you know, that's a really crazy, you know, situation what happened with Aguado Rodriguez last year. And I'm glad that he certainly came back from, uh, you know, all that he went through. Because, right, I'm sure a lot of people like us didn't think that he'd come back and that would end his career. I uh, just wanted to ask a quick follow-up. What do you think caused the, you know, outbreak in that situation to happen with the, you know, Red, Red Sox? What, what are the factors that you think? So it feels like it all happened because, um, you know, and and it's tough, right? It's tough to really pinpoint it, right? They have like these bands that they're wearing to to say close contact, but then some people may, you you might forget it. They do their best, right? With what they are right now. But Kike Hernandez was one of the first guys to go on the COVID IL on August 7th. He is vaccinated. So he had one of the cases where, you know, it it, it got through his vaccine and affected him for about a day or two. And then he was fine. But he was vaccinated. And he said it started before they went out on the road. And he said, you know, he was feeling body aches, a little achy, but he's also in a position now with the Red Sox to play more than he's ever played in his career. So chalked it up to, you know, the usual end of season grind, the August dog days of summer. Like I'm feeling mm-hmm. achy because, you know, I'm working so hard and I've been getting on base a lot. So he thought that was it. So then they travel to Cleveland and, you know, he gets on the plane the next day. He's talking with his teammates, whatever. And they're all in the same, you know, vicinity, obviously on an airplane. Then they get to the game. And he said he started to feel symptomatic. So before that, he didn't have like any congestion, anything like that. But he woke up the next morning and started to feel that way. And he asked for a COVID. So they got him a COVID. Or excuse me, this was, let's go back to the night before. Um, I believe I'm getting this right. They played a game, but it was rain delayed, right? So they had to be in the clubhouse and it didn't rain in Cleveland. They were just like, we expect rain, but it passed, right? So they were in a rain delay for almost like three and a half hours in the clubhouse. Then I remember that, right, right. And they, they were talking about it and it's come out since several different reports about how a lot of, some guys weren't masked, whatever, like they were, you know, in there passing time. So that was probably the breeding ground for this outbreak on the team when it was not raining, yet 
they were in the clubhouse in close quarters, stuck waiting for them to give the all clear for them to play. So the very next day when Kike was saying that um, he started to then feel like congestion and things like that. And he got a COVID test, came back positive, so he was out. Then it started to hit other people, and it was a domino effect after that. But mm-hmm. we think that this mm-hmm. is where the Petri dish happened in that clubhouse in Cleveland, sitting there amongst each other for three hours. So that's when we think the outbreak probably. Mm, interesting. Didn't even think that randomly would cause that. And yeah. Yeah, it did. I know it's pretty fascinating. It's crazy, and, man. It just shows how insane. contagious this thing is, right? It is, for real. Fact. Absolutely. Yeah, no. It moves quick. That goes to show right there. This thing's no joke. Um, with with Cell coming back from the injury and him, um, you know, getting better now, is is he the most important player of the Red Sox? If the Red Sox make it to the playoff, or if if they were to make it a deep, uh, make a deep playoff run, I think so, man, hundred percent. You know, and he said and, it. When and he, him not being vaccinated is not helping that either. Yeah, it's not ideal. It's certainly nope. not ideal. <laughs> you know, because you're at the mercy of this invisible war that we're all fighting with coronavirus every single day, right? Yeah. So you just never know you got to try to stay vigilant in this fight and they're doing the best they can like separating people having them come to the clubhouse at different hours and you know prior to one of his last starts before he went on the COVID IL this most recent time like they isolated him completely like put him in a different room and sent them home that type of stuff Mm. but I would say he's yeah yeah they're, they're taking every precaution right now but I would say that you know he's one of the more important pieces because they got what 12 games left in the regular season. Sale is making three of those starts. Nathan Navaldi is making another three. So that's two of their top pitchers pitching half of the most important games of the season. Um, so these two pieces, they'd like these guys to go deep, and they feel like behind them, you know, they'll be okay. So um, the way Sale is pitching, the year that Nathan Navaldi is having, these would be the guys, I think, um, who would, you know, get the start and pitch significant amount of time in a one-game wild card and, you know, setting them up for then a seven-game series, potentially, if they get to the ALDS. Well, let's hope he stays healthy. Man, fingers crossed. He's a, he's a big part. I mean, coming off Tommy John, he's a yeah. big part. He already missed, you know, 120-something games before he he, he uh, got off the IL for recovering from Tommy John surgery. So then he's also come back from that and been on the COVID IL COVID. twice. So it's like, you don't want to go in there again. But, you know, this is actually something that I think he's going to talk about at some point because you know with the pitchers it's different they don't really have to talk except every five days when they pitch so that conversation hasn't been broached about his status you know whatever can be has why he has it or so that could be a conversation that comes out here shortly and then you know maybe he'll talk about it when the season ends as to not you know be the story right now. cool um hey jamai just wanted to ask uh what's your favorite moment since you've been working uh <laughs> at Nesson and, and covering the, you know, the Red Sox as a sideline reporter. It's got to be that Emmy, right? The, yeah, be. yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty top notch. That's pretty top notch because, you know, like I said, guys, been doing this for 13 years, going on 14 years. And, you know, when I graduated, because it was in May, right? Mm-hmm. Um, next year. And this is the only one I got. This is it right here. So that means a whole lot to me. And, you know, I got that at Nesson. You know, we got some incredible people who work at the company, who are so proficient in what they do and and very intelligent TV. And this is honestly the best job that I ever had. I I can never deny that the opportunities that this company has given me have been just, you know, something that I'm so grateful for. So um, it's got to be that Emmy. But as far as on the field moments, you know, them winning the World Series, they also gave me a World Series. No way. Oh, That's awesome. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Oh, man, that's sick. Bring that out on party favors. It's got a little, it's on light to it. You know what I mean? 
So, <laughs> oh, nice, nice. It's, it's pretty cool. So that stays here. But, um, you know, it's been a lot of cool on-field moments, them winning it all, you know, being splashed with Gatorade on the field. or being oh, yeah, part I of see that on TV, on. I know. Yeah, so <laughs> – it's all highlights, man. It really it really is an enjoyable ride. And it's funny because PK came back from the COVID IL. He talked about missing those 10 games and how, you know, at this point in his career, eight years into his big league career, and he's had to really grind through a lot of those moments, right? Early on, especially, but now he's more of an established big leaguer. But how much he missed the game and how that was a reminder about how he to appreciate every single moment. And as much as we grind, too, as being a part of the baseball press, working every single day, countless hours, thankless jobs at times, so much. For people, I had to take a step back and, and remind myself about, you know, how blessed I am to be in this position too. So, you know, I just want to enjoy every moment. It's winding down and, and I, I want to uh, to appreciate it. And that's the approach I'm trying to take, you know, and have fun really uh, these last few weeks of the regular season. And hopefully we go to a deep October run and, you know, we're, we're the last team hanging in November. <laughs> so. We'll see. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's filled with a lot of moments, a lot of ups and downs, but I'm just trying to appreciate every day, right? Well, that's awesome. You shared, like, Man, two great dope. moments there. That was um, pretty cool. One, um, earlier you mentioned um, how passionate the Boston Red Sox fans are and how they live um, to see every pitch and how different it, 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 is it covering um, a Boston team compared to the other cities? It's like, no, the place I've been, man. I mean... It's it's hard for me to admit that as growing up a Lakers fan and an LA fan of LA sports, but you know when when you know growing up we're like oh it's, this is title town over here you know this is championship banners and all that, but I mean here it's 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 a cult man it's a religion it's really it's really mm -hmm. crazy how passionate people are about it. You know, you know what it is? It's cold. It's cold here. We don't got nothing to do. Right. I think that plays a factor too. Right. Right. Like oh, yeah. We're not out there surfing. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> if you had that and all these other distractions, Hollywood and this, that, and the other, it'd probably be different. But this is what people get on, and I understand it too. And these teams, this, and the ownership groups, they're all in competition, right? They're all yeah. they put a they put a product out there that the fans can get behind every single year. It's tough to do that, but every single year it seems like they're trying to get a champion. So I think that makes it different too a little bit yeah. because the fan base is behind it. And, you know, maybe you would think that some owners take that for granted, right? They're like, oh, these people, they're always going to love us. But that's not the case. They, you know, they'll get on you when you're doing bad and they'll also, you know, love you tremendously when you guys are going to champion. People have been spoiled around here probably the last 20 years. Oh, yeah. Definitely. We have yeah, been. For sure. I'm guilty of that, so. <laughs> so am yeah. I. Yeah, exactly. Try being a, you know, Cleveland Browns fan or one of those people who are, you know. Oh, man. Players now that oh, man. Now, right? A Lions oh. fan. I don't want to be a oh, Lions my fan. Oh, God. That's the worst. <laughs> Jacksonville. So, you know, right, right. You guys you don't have want any of that stuff right there. Right. So obviously, you know, your career has been progressing over the years. You're taking it one step at a time. And every time you've gone somewhere, you know, somewhere higher and doing bigger things. Um, where do you see your career progressing, you know, in the press? Do you want to make a move, you know, someday, not now, you know, so people at Nesson don't like yeah, yeah. talk to this guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
Yeah, now. yeah, no. I mean, you know, it's it's funny, man, because this question, I get it a lot. And it's changed, honestly, it's constantly evolving. Um, And it has over the years because when I first got into it, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this journey and I just want to be back home, you know, covering the teams that I grew up with, covering the teams that I cheer for. And I feel like that. be. And then you start to get a little bit of notoriety in your career. And then you have national networks calling. You have regional networks calling you and feeling like, hey, this guy has a little bit of talent. We like him to work for us. So then I was like, all right, bet. Let's go to ESPN. Let's work on national TV. You know what I mean? Like, let's elevate to that level. So, you know, it's changed over the years. But then life hits you, right? You got a family. I got small girls. I got a wife. You know what I mean? These people are also factoring into those decisions. It's not just about me anymore. So right now, I think I'm, I'm good where I'm at. You know, that's where I'm going to be, right? I'm going to be. <laughs> so, right. You know, you never know what opportunities come out there. And I will say that, you know, my phone lines are always open. You know, I'm not I'm not turning down any offers. I'll listen to anything. So I think that's where that's where I think, um, you know, things will be for me. You know, I'm always open to see what's up out there. And, and I think um, I think eventually one day, you know, maybe I'll make that jump to national. But I don't know if that's any time in recent history because, you know, I got a I got a couple more seasons here before I can even entertain. And we'll see. We'll see. I mean, that. the city might like keep you, you know, because you see <laughs> right. guys like Jerry Remy, you know, Tommy Heinsohn. These guys made a, a whole career, you know, being here and, you know, the town, the city, the state it loves them. You know exactly. what I'm saying? We hold them in high regards. I think it'd be pretty cool to have you there you know climbing in the ranks and yeah you know, no i mean you know i gotta give a shout out to my guys who have you know set the table i mean kyle draper was here for so long we lost yeah him, unfortunately out west yeah, that's, yeah. that's my dude man you know so like celtics fans and all the people embraced him for for himself as well so it's like you appreciate that and it's the same thing with the players like they get a different vibe here because people are showing up night after night and cheering for them and they love them so you get kind of high off that right like the notoriety and how people reckon you walk into different places and it's like no other place that is cool you know to be a fixture here in boston is like that's like hall of fame that's amazing so I think that that's something that that necessarily didn't cross my mind before, but see it, you're like, man, that's that's dope. I want to be part of it. Absolutely, I think um, you know we we here at the Pro Fan Sports Podcast, we definitely looked up up to guys like you, you know, um, because that that's what we're trying to do: getting the repetitions and hopefully being in somebody's sideline. You know, we uh, Barry and I we got to actually uh, interview Jason Tatum um, a couple Saturdays ago, and that was so exciting, man. And we we definitely want to go in that direction. That's major. Um, what what that's advice nice. do you have, you know, for for us um, to help us move along? and get bigger and send it. I mean, you guys are doing it, man. This is it right here, seriously. And I tell everybody that because this is an avenue that, I mean, as horrible as the pandemic was, people got so innovative and we got introduced to so many different technologies that make the world such a smaller place. Like you can do this with anybody. Send them an email, reach out to them on Twitter. And this is it. This is an avenue that I didn't have when I was coming out of school. And same thing with podcasts, you know, um, different radio programs, whatever. Like you can literally create any content. So you build it. And like you said, you know, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Like you right. grind every day. You you put your mm -hmm. best foot forward as if the world is watching. You put together a product that you're proud of and something that you put into work into. And the results will follow, man. It's about the work that people don't understand. Like putting that in is creating positive habits, creating good habits for when you get that opportunity. And then you get to a place where now you have the financial backing. You also have the resources. It's like you don't just get that by just showing up. So yeah. doing stuff like this, getting those reps, it's all about repetition, you know, yeah. refining your interview skills, whatever, you know, your own camera presence, 
your voice when you find that and then you can bring, present it to somebody and, and they'll be like, okay, I like this, you know? So I think that that's the biggest thing is you guys are doing it. You're not, you know, sitting at home waiting for somebody to call you. You guys are actually doing what you want to be in, you know? So that'll, um, that'll pay big dividends as you go on throughout, you know, it's a small world, man, this media thing, you know, a lot of people are connecting. You never know. Somebody might be like, oh, I'm looking for this. And you never know how you come up. So I think networking and staying connected with people is also good as well. One last question for you. Um, I had one as well, but you can go ahead, Black. <laughs> right, Two so. last questions. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, uh, earlier you talked about playing basketball in uh, high school and maybe you were thinking of going to a D3 school so you can play more ball. Um, and I know like you, you also shared with us your story, how you got to Nesson and, um, it's, I'm, I'm assuming I could be wrong, but I'm assuming it wasn't always your dream to cover specifically baseball. Nah, <laughs> that came out of nowhere. Yeah. That fell in my lap straight up. <laughs> my follow-up question to that is, what, what, what is the sport that you wish you were covering? It's gotta be hoop, man. That's my, that's my love. I, it's a love of the game. I love basketball, you know, yeah. and then football will be second. It's just like, you know, most people who come from a minority household, this is the sports that black people love and that they associate. When you think about the numbers about baseball, like when baseball was at its height with black athletes. People had Griffey, Frank Thomas, and Barry Bonds. So many different athletes mm-hmm. to look up to it was like the mid '90s. Was like 22 percent baseball. Like baseball now is like seven percent black. So we don't have those superstars. Mm-hmm. Especially not. I mean, there's not a black player on the the 40-man roster of the Red Sox right now. So yeah. it just it just shows how far we wow, have gone. Wow, that's crazy, right? So they're all, they're all Hispanic, right? That's right. True. You know, yeah. and and and, and Afro Latino is good too. Like you know, we in the diaspora. So I represent with yeah, that. That's- well, cool. but, yeah. but it's just like, you know, Mookie was fantastic having him here. JBJ was fantastic having him here, you know, and it's just like now that that's gone and then you've seen that around the game, right? So like young black kids coming up don't see those big superstars as much um, and they can relate to that. So that's why baseball is not really forced to gravitate. Basketball is good. Plus it's a game of failure. Like you fail seven times out of 10, you're a Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know, and, and it might be even mm-hmm. less now because, I mean, we're seeing some wicked stuff, how people are pitching and manipulating the balls, and it's such a harder game now. So it's like, that's why I got out of it. You know, I didn't get past Little League because I was like, man, it sucks. <laughs> striking me out every three times. Like, you want that instant gratification. But, you know, I almost right. wish, like, my, my parents would would have been more, you know, on me to, to, to give it a little bit more of a, a try because I would have eventually had more success offensively. Like, I was great in defense, but because of my athleticism coming up but offensively it was a struggle to like recognize pitching you know not swing at stuff that felt like it was you know coming in there in your sweet spot so that's why it's tough basketball you can get instant gratification you can get buckets football you can score touchdowns make tackles whatever and even track and field which is what i what i ran as well because my dad's a track coach but it's just like that's the issue with the sports like that right now and then that's what's keeping the youth from it but the game has changed you got some young superstars i think you know from the dominican republic and places like that xander bogart's right in our backyard from aruba I mean, it's it's some some great players who look like us may not be the same language, so to speak, entirely as far as the native tongue. But I think it's still some guys to look up to. But it, it definitely has been tough as far as, you know, keeping African-Americans in the game like that, which is why, you know, even to this day, like I said, like I, I, this fell into my lap. Like I never sought this, not something that I was like, I want to be the sideline reporter for the Red Sox um, as my dream. But 
you know, when opportunities come, right, you put yourself out of your comfort zone and you get to and it. And you get to it, yeah. Yeah, so um, I hope it changes. I hope the game, you know, gets more youth involved. We got who are, who are playing it at a high level who look like us. I mean, hearing you talk about this just got me asking one more question. Um, <laughs> now that you are doing baseball, are you stuck to baseball? Like, if you... Do you think a company would risk hiring you to cover basketball? You know, it's an interesting question. And I don't think they would because, like, the skills translate, right? It's just yeah. a different sport. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You, you can, mm-hmm. like, I do hockey now. If they ask me to do hockey, I do hockey. I never <laughs> played hockey in my life, but there I do it go. because, you know, <laughs> the skills translate, right? It's still questioning and answering and following up and doing your research, understanding the trends of that game, right? And, I, and like, baseball was, like, it was, like, three, four, five. It was down there as far as sports that I enjoyed and that I would spend time doing, but yeah. I got a different appreciation now. I got more perspective, and I actually really love this game. Like, I enjoy it, you know, and I watch games, and this is the first time in my life or I watched 162. I will have watched That's 100. crazy. Wow, <laughs> really? Dang. So it's just Ooh. like, you know, because again, like you don't either, under, you don't understand it or it's too slow, right? When you get more action into the games, people gravitate towards it. Like my grandmother used to watch the Giants religiously. And I used to be like, this is so boring, man. It'd be in the summer. I'm like, I just want to go outside and play, right? And now it's like, I find myself doing the same thing because I enjoy the game. So, but as far as like somebody hiring me to do something else, I don't think so because that was my background before. Like I was a I was in local television, so I, I rotate with the seasons. I'm covering all the sports, you know what I mean? I mean, I was in Hawaii covering canoe paddling in the summer, so I could do anything. <laughs> oh, man. Wow, you was grinding. That grind was man. different. Uh. Talk about, yeah, I mean, you talk about grind. That right there, like, you're in a place that's in the middle of the Pacific, and there is no professional sports. You got to find a way to fill your three- to five-minute commitment nightly. That's it, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm in people's backyards. Whatever we got going on, I'm all on it. Surfing, canoeing, I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure, man. Uh, question I wanted to ask you was uh, during your time covering, you know, the, the Red Sox, who some of the, you know, favorite players that, you know, you enjoyed covering the most in the locker room and any yeah. crazy locker room stories that you'd like to, you know, share with us? So no, nothing crazy except, I guess, a, a crazy locker room story, you know, is one of the one that sticks out is just the championship celebrations in the 2018 season, like champagne spraying all over the place, players dumping it on your head. That sticks mm-hmm. out, obviously. That That's that's kind of like a way that you can also be a part of it after you have grinds well, which is fun. And unfortunately, I'm not sure if that's going to be a possibility still with us not being in the clubhouse uh, this year. But those are some memories that stick out. Um, favorite players right now, recent in recent memory, like Alex Verdugo. That's my guy. Mm. You know, I was actually, oh, hey. yeah, I was following him. You know, even when he was with the Dodgers coming up through the organization, obviously because I keep tabs on them as well a little bit. But big fan of his, authentic dude. Really, what you see is what you get, and he's a real person. So I like that. I vibe with him. I like JD as well, JD Martinez, somebody you can talk about the game with who really is into hitting and can really teach you something as well. And very, very thorough. Like he's a great storyteller. Great storyteller. We actually interviewed him for my story a couple seasons ago. And oh my gosh, like he was a little bit salty about having to do it, but he ended up spending like an hour and a half with us really and just talking the game and stories and stuff. Really insightful, something that you like to get from players. Christian Arroyo was another one, big personality right now. Xander Bogarts, love that dude. He's like my favorite player right now, really. It's, you know, him and Tim Anderson, two of my favorite shortstops, right? So mm-hmm. I really like his game and what he brings. Mookie. Another one, I'm sad that he's gone. JBJ, that's my guy um, as well. Yeah. 
uh, Rick Porcello, one of the unheralded guys who's no longer really in baseball right now, but he's only like 32, 33 out of it. Maybe he finds a way back. But when he was here, he taught me a lot about not only being uh, like a good at your job, but like also, I mean, not only being not only about baseball, but also about like professional press and coming correct with questions, everything. Right. Because mm. he would challenge you and make you like even question like, dude, that's stupid. Or, or what are you doing? Like asking me <laughs> questions. Kind of so I got mad respect for Rick because he would challenge me and make sure that what you're saying is what you mean, right? Because a lot of times in the press, we just ask for stuff or we ask stuff that is just off the top of our head and then players answer and coach speak is what they say, right? Just like, oh yeah, we got to play harder or we, you know, the usual two liners that you get, but he would actually thoughtful in his answer and his approach and he would expect it. So I love that guy for that. And, um, you know, I told him as much as well, but those are some of my favorites right there, really. I never got a chance to cover Big Poppy, although we become acquainted. You know, since he retired, I see him around, and he always shows love. So big personality. Pedro Martinez, the same way. Um, but, yeah, some of those guys who I got a chance to cover recently, they've been good Good to, you know, have, have a blast really covering. And this team is fun, too. A lot of good guys. You really can't go wrong with them. Right, that's what's up, man. All, those are all great, you know players and personalities and good people for sure no doubt no doubt good guys absolutely man jamiah again it's been an absolute pleasure to get to have this discussion with you thank you so much for coming on the show you could have been doing you know taking care of your kids but you're here <laughs> discussing with us so right right really appreciate it man and you know that helps us elevate as a podcast and helps push us forward and you know so we can you know get a little closer to the goals that we have so again thank you so much man and hopefully we'll get you back on here sometimes yeah no doubt man happy to do it man love to y'all for having for real and uh you know yeah definitely man we we'll do an end of season recap or something or whatever i like uh, that Absolutely. i'm only a phone yeah. call so it is yeah it for is. sure and Jermaine, the next time you come on here, we got to talk hoop now that, you know, you're, oh, yeah, with, you're a big <laughs> basketball guy, right? And, you know, we're all basketball guys here, too, and, you know, love the game of basketball and, you know, and, and like to talk, you know, Celtics and NBA. So yep, the next yep. time we invite you on, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, you know, chop it up and, you know, and talk some hoops. Oh, yeah, let's do it, man. You know, because after baseball season, I'll be transitioning as well, you know, be covering some Patriots and then get some Celtics action as well before I get back nice. into baseball again. Oh, word. That's, that's awesome. That's all. Yeah. That's what's up. So we'll see, man. That, that you know, that was my role previously, but we'll see because also you, you gain a lot of comp time, right? So I got to have a lot of time off before I get in. So they may not see me till January. We'll see. Wow. All <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I feel you. I hear you. You have a yeah, good no, night. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, oh, no doubt. No this doubt. was awesome. This was a pleasure and an honor having you on. So thank you so much for your time, for being on the podcast. Greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Much love to you guys and continued success. All right. Likewise. Same to you, man. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right. All right. Well, good stuff. Yes, that was sir. Awesome, guys, good, good interview. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, Jemai Webster came on. You know, we got Barry. You look like, you know, you're just a wall talking right now. Um, <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, um, but if you're still watching, make sure you you're subscribing to the channel. You know, obviously we got Emmy award winning people coming on the show. Like who does it? You know exactly. what I'm saying? Like what other podcasts, you know, does it other Fact. than like, big guys. That's but, right. Talk you know. your shit, John. Let us know. 
Talk that hey, shit. You know you what I'm saying? Emmy Award winners pulling up, and that's not the first one that's yeah. pulled up. Remember, Max Letterman also pulled up number two you know, on the podcast, right? Right. No. A bunch earlier so, during you know basketball, and right. So you know, so we're yeah, it's already on our second one. Shoot, we may have a third one soon. Who knows? Stay soon. tuned. Hey, make sure you guys are following us on social media, man. We're on Instagram, Profans underscore Sports, and Profan Sports. Everything else, including the YouTube. Uh, youtube.com slash profan sports you know we appreciate the support um it's helping pushing us forward in this industry like i was saying earlier and the more you do it the better we get so until next episode shout out everyone have a good week see y'all next week subscribe to the channel